What a feeling. It's Flashdance on the very first episode of Cinema Oblivia. Hello, and welcome to Cinema Oblivia. I'm James Eldred. Since this is the very first episode, really quickly, I'd like to tell you about myself and what I want to do with this podcast. Like I already said, my name's James Eldred. I live in Tokyo, and I work mostly as an English teacher, but I also work as a writer from time to time. I've written about video games, music, comics, but I've always loved writing about film the most. I was a film student in college, and my family's been in the home video business for most of my life. It's pretty much what I love the most. Uh, And I especially love older movies, which is what I want this podcast to focus on. Specifically, it will focus on old movies that I feel people don't talk about enough anymore. Some of these films could be movies that were gigantic bombs and ruined careers. Others might be some of the biggest films of all time that have just kind of fallen out of favor as the popular tastes have changed. And it could be anything in between. Basically, this is a podcast for movies that are kind of unremembered, forgotten, cast aside, left behind, discarded, out of style, and out of fashion. I hope you enjoy it. And without any further delay, let's get started. What you're about to hear was recorded about a month before the introduction you just heard, and on a different microphone, which is why it'll sound a bit different, and which is why this transition is so awkward. Today, for our very first episode, I am with... Jennifer Fiorini. Okay, and where are you where are you talking to me from? I'm talking to you from New York City. I write about film uh for eCurrent in uh Ann Arbor, Michigan. And I also just did a guest essay for Troy Howard's book on Dario Argento called Murder cool. by Design that came it was published in November of last year, so check it out on Amazon.com. Cool. And I'm also writing uh, a series on pre-code films for the Sylvania Advantage, but which I also put up on my blog. So cool, cool. I'll definitely put links to your blog and all your stuff in the in the show notes or in the podcast description and on Twitter. Don't worry about that. How long have I known you, off and on? Oh well, we have a really, really long relationship, haven't we? Yeah. You were, I, I actually didn't remember that your your dad goes, well, you, I, you babysat James. And I was like, what? Really? Yeah, you did. I did. You remember that. Well, the, thank you very much. I feel very memorable. I, I have very vague memories very of vague. you babysitting me and making fun of me watching He-Man. Really? Oh, wow. Yes. I'm sorry. It's okay. You <laughs> were like probably 14. It's all but, right. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, I was living near, I was living in your neighborhood Yeah. when most of these films came out. Yeah, and that's kind of why I wanted to talk to you about this movie, because today we're going to be talking about Flashdance. 
And I really wanted to get somebody who, if you don't mind me saying, how old were you when that movie came out? And, you know, and that, so it says it, it came out in April of 83. So mm-hmm. I was still, I was just 14. Okay. And it was an R-rated movie, but you oh, were wow. still totally the target market for that. You were a teenage okay. girl who most likely was watching MTV, right? Yep. Yep. There you go. You know, you got to think about back then, R-rated movies were more marketed towards teens. Like yeah. Revenge of the Nerds, Porkies. Yeah. Like, People in the 30s aren't watching that shit, right? No. Yeah. <laughs> you know. All the kids that I knew, like like my movie group now, they all they all go, oh, you know, my parents were so cool. They let me go see these R-rated movies and blah, blah, blah. And I don't think my parents were too hung up on a lot of that. I guess back then your parents probably went and saw some of these things beforehand or asked people and then took you but I do recall seeing some things when I was a little older, like 15 or 16. And I'm like, yeah, there was no parents around. And yeah, we went to a dollar show. And there yeah. probably should have been parents around, but it was the 80s. You know, I grew up literally in a video store because my dad owned one. And he was a terrible censor. So I saw Predator when I was seven years old. I saw Terminator when I was five. I don't think the first movie my dad would not let me see was probably Clerks. Why? Uh, but because of the language. Oh, really? I... And the se- sexual content. But I still saw it. You know, he just didn't know. <laughs> For some reason, though, I have a memory that your mom or somebody that maybe it was your brother that liked that movie and was talking to it. My mom. Clerks? Yeah. Well, I think by the time Clerks came out, you went in the neighborhood. Like, you were no, long gone. Oh, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> living in. New York or California. That's yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But an- Clerks is for a different episode. Uh, today we're talking about Flashdance, and you wanted to talk about this movie. Why is that? I, I mean, your list was had, there were so many great movies on your list, but I, when I was growing up, I mean, I was, a, I was singing from the time I was five or younger. I was already, I was dancing pretty young I had a huge love for movies like fame. And so all the musical stuff and my mother loved musicals was going to be right up my street. And so this was doubly my, in my wheelhouse, you know, kind of film I would want to go see. So it, it has stuck with me for like a really long time, even though of course you wouldn't call it like, you know, a criterion collection film, but (laughs) (laughs) it has, I mean, but I, I have lots of childhood memories of it. And I like a few of Line's other films. And I like the films as I, you know, throughout my movie going life of the other directors that were contemporaries of his that they all kind of came up together. So, that I mean, I guess I, I had given you a few choices. But yeah, this is this is a great one to talk about and you're right i i guess i would have been the target market for this which was really scary because i don't know who else would be the target market for this yeah movie. you know because uh 80 83 right mm-hmm. yeah 83 so mtv was around for about two or three years um yeah. did you have mtv at that time yes but okay. I'm, I'm trying to remember because we lived in the same neighborhood yep and i what you were really little so i can't you know, like you're not going to remember the day MTV came out. 
I was three years old when this movie oh. came out, and I was definitely not flash dancing because I still have my broken leg. So, right. yeah. So, um, yeah. And I know Toledo got cable super early. It was one of the first cities in America. It was a test market for cable. Um, so I would imagine we had we had a I MTV pretty early. Being either late nineteen eighty one or early eighty two, I was definitely in the last year of junior high, mm-hmm. and. You know, so those early videos were like just things that were thrown up on there. If if some you know artists had concert footage, and some of them were made, you know, like yeah. oh, with an intent, they were just getting off the ground. But yeah, I feel like this is probably one of the first movies, and I'm not going to say the first because somebody will go, yeah, no, but this one, but that was a major movie that was built around, probably built around the thought of this whole new platform of having videos for songs and yeah, that it would be play it, that, that they actually use like lots of footage from the movie that was really created probably to look good on that channel. I don't know. It's hard to say anything's the first of anything, but I definitely think this is the first very popular movie that mm-hmm. co-opted the music video aesthetic especially in a way that was deliberately commercial. I was watching some old video footage of Siskel and Ebert about this movie and they they did not Siskel kind of liked it like he he's like it's okay whatever. Ebert hated this movie. Oh, he absolutely hated it. Yeah, and but they both recognized that hey, this is going to be a huge thing. Mm-hmm. That this is going to change the 80s and they were right about that and they were even like you know now when you watch mtv you'll see music videos from movies and they put footage from the movies in the videos like it was a brand new crazy thing because it was was. (laughs) yeah brand new crazy thing yeah i mean so but line also the director came from Mm -hmm. you know his whole experience prior to that and foxes was his first movie but he was he came from being a commercial a director of commercials. Yeah, Adrian Line? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that and helps. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen Foxes. It's kind of hard to find these days. Um I was interested in seeing album. it. Yeah, it's a great record. It has uh, on the radio on it by Donna Summer. Yeah. 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 But that's definitely I think connected to this movie, you know, young women, you know, and music. I think he already had that idea in his head with uh his first film. But I think we should talk a little bit about, you know, how this movie got made because I, I was researching it about this and it's really a strange story. written by a guy named Tom Headley or Headley and uh, he's mostly a magazine editor a magazine writer and he got the idea for this movie and he pitched it to Casablanca the product the company also put out disco records he basically said it's about a girl who's a welder by day and a dancer by night and he sold that idea for $300,000 
and a and the percentage of the net profit, even before he wrote the script. Wow. He says he made like eight million dollars off the movie, which is a good deal. But the movie wasn't entirely his idea because apparently, possibly, allegedly, he kind of stole people's lives to make the movie, like personal stories. Uh. He was in Canada, in Toronto, and there was this bar there called Gimlet's, which is apparently like the bar in the movie Flashdance, which blew my mind that that was a real place because the idea of this low-rent pizza burger joint having interpretive dance with half-naked women I lived in Pittsburgh for 10 years. I never saw that. I mean, I would have I would have gone. <laughs> um, even yeah, that that sounds awesome. But there was a there were two dancers there, Gina Healy and Maureen Martyr. Maureen was a construction worker by day and a dancer by night. And Gina's dancing style is heavily reminiscent like like how they dance and flash dance is is Gina style, pretty much. And Gina was offered an audition. She turned it down. But um, they were both paid a little over $2,000, and that was it. Well, that's... Uh, and Headley, in the years since, has really seemed to downplay their involvement in it uh, to the point where one of them sued. Uh, they didn't win. But the judge was like, yeah, you got ripped off. But hey, guess what? That's legal. Wow. <laughs> yeah. What? I've never heard this story. So that's fascinating. I was thinking yeah. that there was some other interview and I couldn't remember where it was. And maybe it was in the You Don't Know Me because I know it came up in that film that Line had or that Esther House had written Flashdance. But it was something like where... Line was just making this movie until he could make something else or something, yeah. something, something. But that, but then I couldn't recall where I heard it. But I had never heard that story. So yeah, amazing. Yeah, and and Headley, the co, the the credited writers are Headley and es Joe Esterhaus. Joe Esterhaus yeah. is a name that some people might know still. He wrote Basic Instinct and Showgirls. You know, very cl classics of uh, American cinema. Do you have, do you have a Joe Esterhaus favorite? Oh no! I mean, yeah. I've okay. I've seen showgirls, <laughs> and I just—I mean, the only my only takeaway from that was like, oh my god, like this is why do they have to make her so dumb? I yeah, I yeah. And yet there were so many more weird things about that movie when I when I had seen that when I had seen that film or the the you don't know me and they were interviewing him and they showed it and they and I was like. I was like, you know what's really weird about this? That that I worked it, it around and in Vegas and, and at the time that film was made and, and I saw it and I didn't think there was anything all that weird about it other than that, other than the fact that they made her so dumb. Yeah. And there really should have been like a lot of bells going off going, this is really weird because the movie <laughs> itself is like, there were all these WTF moments and I was like, oh, Really? Yeah, Showgirls is definitely an even, you know, because Flashdance is R-rated because it has nudity. Um, but uh, Showgirls is NC-17, and it is definitely the NC-17 version of Flashdance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I think Flashdance is a is a much better film. I have seen I have seen Showgirls more than Flashdance because when you're drunk, Showgirls is amazing. You I know, have lots of friends who swear by that movie, and yeah, that's a whole other podcast. But oh yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and and possibly a novel as long as War and Peace, but. Yeah, I, and it was a book. You, you talk about a movie, right? The you don't know me. What's that? Yeah, it's it's. I saw it. Well, I worked at Tribeca Film Festival the year before last. So was that twenty? Yeah, spring of twenty nineteen, and they debuted a. It's a documentary about showgirls and its big fan base, and also like just that it's like a new midnight movie and why okay. and why. It, it, but it's very tongue in cheek. It's really fun. It's it's an amazing. It was really fun. cool. I'll have to see if I can find that. It was so uh, much fun. It's definitely one to like too. If you get a chance to like go see it with your friends, it's like yeah. it's fun. Yeah, but I, I definitely feel Esther House's like kind of slimy handprints all over this movie. Yeah. You know, a lot. I I bet a lot of the stuff with the the Johnny C character leaving. I that mm-hmm. feels very Esther House and kind of like anybody being a garbage human kind of this kind of rubs me as an Esther house vibe all the positive stuff i don't i can't imagine he wrote you know the the nice dad for the figure skater or any of the romance i can't imagine he touched that (laughs) this doesn't seem yeah but the movie had other writers who aren't credited there was um uh at least at least one there was a linda obst who is the producer at Casablanca. She also apparently wrote an entire draft of the film and they used parts of it, but she didn't get credit. Oh, and really? uh, another writer, Catherine Red, Red, Redback, another woman, she wrote a draft, didn't get credit. The, what was that? <laughs> Not surprised. <laughs> yeah. When Headley was proposing the film, he made a gigantic, like, photograph-filled portfolio to kind of show his image. The photographers who did that didn't get credit, never got paid. Mm. The, Of course, the more famous, all of the dancing body doubles, no credit. You know, so there's a whole... All these people associated with this huge movie, some of them barely got paid, and most of them didn't even get credit. I don't know. I think that's one way whether how they still make them like this, you know, screwing over as many people as possible. But it was depressing, especially since you know we'll talk about it later. But you think you you come to this movie with a pretty positive attitude about how it treats women, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, up and down. It's it's uneven. It's uneven. Yes, but the thing that I think is interesting about it, like from now you know, so many years later perspective and, and then seeing like all the films that would come after that were influenced by this, that, that it, you know, it seems to be woman friendly on the surface. And then you kind of wonder, is that by design in, um, (laughs) the way that, you know, we, we want to show this raunchy stuff, but I mean, maybe that's jaded of me, but, But, you know, we don't want to offend women and they are kind of more of our target audience for this. I mean, I don't I didn't I can't imagine like guys going to see this other than to look at the women because it is kind of a romance and all that nonsense. So, you know, yeah, I don't know if guys would go to see it, but I I bet a lot of guys would probably watch it on HBO. 
Well, they have the music videos for that. They don't need to see the music, right? Yeah, but you can't see all, you know, everything in the music video. <laughs> yeah, and there's a few scenes in there that are like, okay. like, you know, I can't imagine. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. I had to have seen this with my mother. Yeah. I, but I don't remember that experience. We went to see later in that year or whatever. We went to see, or was it the next year, Footloose. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did see that together, but it, it, and I actually asked her and she couldn't remember, but she was like, yeah, I'm, I mean, yeah, it was R. I mean, yeah, we were still 14. So, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure I would have been embarrassed about the scenes where like she's in where they have dinner together and yeah. there's, yeah. And there's a, you know, she, and these girls just, there's no way they're 18. about but i think most people know but it's about a girl it's about a uh just a what's the line from maniac oh. a, a steel a steel a steel city girl on a saturday night looking for the fight of her life you know yeah it's about a, a welder who wants to be who wants to be a dancer at a prestigious school in pittsburgh which is really funny because that's a fake school in the movie but that's based on the college i went to that's based that's based on point park university which is a pretty prestigious dance school. I, I did not go there for dance. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I went there for journalism. Um, oh. But it, it it is a pretty big dance school. And it was always funny because I think the two biggest majors there were journalism and dance. And most of the journalism majors looked like me, which is, you know, not fit, you know, dudes <laughs> wearing glasses. And... All the dancers look like Jennifer Beals, uh, even the guys. Uh, And you would walk to the uh, cafeteria and you'd have to walk through the dance area. And you would just see all these impossibly fit people stretching in the hallways. And it was insanely distracting. (laughs) So was that actually, so that was pretty true to form, like the scenes where you see them, where she walks through these halls and they're all standing there, you know, stretching their legs and doing yeah. turns and all that nonsense. That's pretty. There were a few journalism students who also were dancers and they would come to the journalism class, you know, dressed like in their leg warmers and their leotards. It was a very strange environment. Um, it, Point Park is in the middle of downtown Pittsburgh. It does not look nearly as nice as that place. That place is a museum. And uh, an, uh, I think another, like, Carnegie something half the buildings in Pittsburgh are Carnegie something and but so that's not the location and they couldn't use the name I would imagine but that's totally what it is it is it is uh the Point Park and when I was in Point Park I knew girls who loved Flashdance really (laughs) time later because that would have been I think they just like the dancing because the dancing's fantastic it is yeah. Uh, and also looks great, you know, and that's, we we only talked a little bit about him, but that's Adrian Lynn, Lina Lynn. I believe it's pronounced Lyne. Okay. That's maybe Those. wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's Lyne. Yeah. It's his second movie after Foxes, which was a kind of a weird movie about 
teenage girls partying too hard, which I haven't seen. And then after this, he made what? The uh, Fatal Attraction? No, he made Nine and a Half Weeks. Oh, no. He went all the way there with Nine and a Half Weeks. Yeah, I know. I remember that. I'd never have seen that movie. It's just I have no desire to see Nine and a Half Weeks. But, you know, it was a big, that was a very, 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 like, it was very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It was very um, talked about when it came out because it was. Oh, yeah. It was, you know, it was the 80s version of Last Tango in Paris. And, of course, there were all these scenes in it as they, you know, line would become known for these, like, sexual type of film that caused a lot of controversy. That's, that's the word I was looking for. It was very controversial. Yeah. I mean, there was an endless amount of talk about that film. Um, and then after that, I think it's Fatal Attraction. He goes off to make my only other really favorite movie of his, which is Jacob's Ladder. It's yeah. nothing like any of the other films. <laughs> yeah, because he did Flashdance, Nine and a Half Weeks, Fatal Attraction, Jacob's Ladder, and then Indecent Proposal. And like yep. Jacob's Ladder really sticks out. <laughs> As in my, that lineage of films, you know, I love Jacob's Ladder. That's a great movie. I love it too. Uh, Indecent Proposal is a ridiculously stupid movie, and uh, I think Fatal Attraction is equal parts stupid and great for me. It's it's terribly sexist and has aged poorly, but Glenn Close is so good in it that he is. Yeah, but it's yeah. Women wish that movie was. We've been trying to live that film down now for how many years? Thirty-four years. Yeah, a long time. Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, give me a break. I really don't yeah. want to hear anything more about. You know, now it's just become fatal attraction. Oh, she's a fatal attraction case. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a good movie, but I, it's it's really yeah, it's insulting. It's problematic. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the movie, like you know, line that's. Nine and a Half Weeks, Fatal Attraction, those are huge influences on 80s culture. And also, the producers of this movie were Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer. Who, at the time, I wouldn't have known who they were. But like yeah. looking back on that list then, I'm like, oh my god, wow, there's all these heavy hitters involved in this film. I think it was Simpson's first production credit. Um, Bruckheimer had pr- already produced American Gigolo. Which oh my god. Well, there also, two. that's a double feature right there. Yeah. And American Gigolo, I think the style of it is like the the cinematography and the and the look of it is very music video in times. The editing is not, but it is very much like setting the standard for what 80s style would be in that movie. You know, that's how I feel about it. And, you know, with uh, the soundtrack to Call Me, Marauder, again. But yeah, you know, the whole soundtrack. Those two would go on to produce Top Gun, Beverly Hills Cop, uh, Bad Boys, uh, The Rock. You know, Simpson died in 96 from doing all the drugs. Just really all of them. Uh, and but now everyone knows who Jerry Bruckheimer is. I don't need to say who Jerry Bruckheimer is. He's like one of the biggest producers of all time. Yeah. You know, uh, I think he's a huge influence on film, both positive and negative. Uh, and he is definitely one of, he is a hundred percent style first substance, like eighth, like it doesn't matter. 
And you can even see that in this movie, I think. I, you know, what's interesting though, is that you could put, as I said, like American Gigolo would be a good, a good double feature with this, but I found that like my husband loves that movie. Oh, it's a great movie. There's, yeah. You know, it's funny, but I know, I mean, he's just like, well, I just want to have that closet. <laughs> but he's italian so maybe that doesn't translate to like every guy he's from italy so maybe that does not translate to like american guys but yeah but it's funny that that would be kind of like the aspirational movie for guys as like flash dance was the aspirational film for girls yeah, that's kind of how I feel about Flashdance and why someone who was your age when it came out would have liked it. And that I think that's also why they made her character so young. I went to school for journalism and for film, and they talk about marketing and that. And mm-hmm. you always want to make your – you usually want to make your protagonists a few years older than your target market if you're targeting kids. So, like, a lot of kids' movies, movies for, like, eight-year-olds, they don't have eight-year-olds. They have a little bit older, like Goonies. Like yeah. Goonies is not made. Goonies is made for like five to eight year olds, and all the characters are like preteens and in their early teens. Yeah. You know, this is definitely made for teenage girls because I think an eighteen year old or a twenty year old woman who would watch this, they would probably like it, but they would also see like that's not my fucking life. Yeah, you know, for for a thirteen year old girl who wants to be a dancer or wants to be a singer, they look at they look at her character, and even though she's a welder, her apartment is amazing because of course it is, and she's gorgeous, and she has a rich older boyfriend, and she's gonna be, and she wants to study ballet. It's like a romance novel. It is, and you know, as I said before, I feel like the way it's shot and the way it, the look of the film. Because on the on paper, you read that one line, descriptive line of what this movie is, and it's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> it's stupid, you yeah. Know. Well, it's so much more than that, though. It's Flashdance. You really can't, like, yeah. But but the look of it is very, very, you know, so it's all done straight-faced. Yeah, yeah. And it's not, there's no faced in the look of the film and the feel of mm-hmm. the film and everything. So it feels very earthy and, and very, you know, like it's it's not fantasy land in the way that it looks and in the way that it's presented and the way the characters look so that in my opinion pulls off a minor miracle because it is a ridiculous film but that said it to me it has a lot in common with maybe coming off the heels of fame and yeah fame was on tv at that point in its first the tv show on nbc so that was something I was watching every single week like crazy because I was absolutely obsessed with fame. So I feel like it's it's a little more if you took fame and then you you put the elements of the erotic thriller that you were in the 90s, it's kind of like a little bit like that. It's a little bit more, it's way more sex-driven in oh, yeah. content and all that. But it retains those like touch points of fame of oh you know i want to be famous and i want so maybe that's too where, where that came in because uh, this the storyline because it it conveniently could also play off of a successful film and a tv series that was on mm-hmm. television right at that moment yeah when i was reading a lot of reviews of it a lot of them said it was a saturday night fever ripoff oh. and you know, I see that to a certain it's about dancing, you know, yeah. but I hate Saturday Night Fever with like every fiber of my being. But he's also um, fast. 
What was that? He's also working class. So he, like, he's, he's also working class. There's that. Yeah. Too. But I feel for me, you know, you have the three the three big eighties dance movies are Fame, Flashdance, and Footloose. And mm-hmm. I feel that each like this fame and fame is pre MTV. Fame is nineteen eighty. Yep. And fame is a raw movie with a lot of real shit in it. Yep. And it dark, stuff about suicide and abuse and abortion and all these heavy topics. Yeah. And then you you round off, you shan't you sand it down a little bit, you polish it a little bit, and then you make it more stylish and you get flash dance. Yeah. And then you take flash dance and you smooth off all the rough edges, <laughs> you get footloose. But that said, those first two films are also made by two directors who were contemporaries and who were also came out of Britain as oh, okay. commercial directors. So Alan Parker, who directed Fame and who also directed other quasi musicals like Bugsy Malone and oh, okay. Commitments, as well as Angel oh. Heart and Mississippi. Oh Burning. God! <laughs> yeah, Alan Parker's a genius, and he just passed away in May. So like, I was really upset about that, mm. but. The look of those films, if you go back, well, look at look at Fame, look at Flash Dance, look at even the other two guys that came out of that school of filmmaking were Ridley and Tony Scott. So you've got oh, the yeah. four guys who all came out. They're roughly the same age. They all came out of making commercials in um, and and in Britain. And so then they were also very already versed in sort of like making music videos because, you know, Alan Parker also made The Wall. Oh yeah. God, that movie. So like they, so yeah, they, I mean, it's interesting that they both, they look aesthetically. They're really similar. I mean, yeah, but those films in the canon of those guys are also, I mean, I could say that I think flash dancer can flash dance can also looks somewhat like blade runner and like, hmm. well, and they have the same costume designer, which is amazing. Because right after he did, he did the first thing that guy made as a costume designer was freaking Blade Runner. That's crazy. Don't yeah. Anything better than that? That film is still iconic. You still see fashion spreads using and movies and everything using the those those designs as a template. But at yeah. any rate, he probably he was from Pittsburgh. I think it's at, well, he's definitely oh. from Pennsylvania. So he might have just been hanging around, and they called <laughs> him and said, "Can you do these clothes?" But but yeah, so these, these these guys were all up in each other's style because they all were working together, working around each other. They would have been influenced by each other for sure. I mean, there's no way they couldn't have. Yeah, been and they weren't. and Ridley Scott came up first, right? He's of that bunch. I think yeah. he's the first one. Yeah, no, him and him and probably Adrian Lyne. Yeah, Adrian Lyne's a little bit later because 1980, and and I mean, I don't know, Alan Parker. Alan Parker made also made um, Midnight Express, so that's oh, that's yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So, I mean, I think like, yeah, I think Ridley and Parker, uh, Ridley Scott and Alan Parker are kind of closer in the older guys of that, of those four. When you watch like a later movie by like Tony Scott, like before he passed away, like Man on Fire, mm-hmm. um, that has this same style to it, to it. It still has, yeah, it's a very goody movie, but the there's a certain type of editing and lighting I associate with these type of directors. And it, I think Ridley Scott's probably the most diverse of the bunch. He can break away from that pretty strong if he had, if he wants to, but Tony Scott and, you know, um, 
Adrian Line and and they they have a wheelhouse and they stick to it for the most part. Yeah. I think Adrian Line made that movie Unfaithful, which I haven't seen, but I have to imagine that's substantially different than Flashdance. <laughs> one of the yeah, I have seen parts of it but a long time ago. Mm-hmm. I one of the two, now I'm gonna not gonna know which one it is. May also made the first Apple commercial, right? You know that. Well, that's 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 um Ridley Scott. Yeah. So I mean, but it's hard because when you look at if you look at if you look at Pink Floyd, the Wall. To me, that looks a lot like you know part of that Apple commercial, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, I you're definitely right. There's a big connection. All the stuff, you know, and I maybe the influencing each other maybe they all drew from the same influences it's one of those things that's kind of hard to tell but you're definitely right all this stuff has the same feel and style to it i love that feel it's very very to me when i look at it it's very sensual it's soft and earthy without being too sleazy Mm -hmm. you know the if you look at like angel heart oh Gorgeous. Every all the texture in the walls and the gorgeous, you know, soft. It's it's beautiful. I mean, I, yeah, I, I love and so that's another thing that probably drew me to this film as well, because my mother was an artist and so I had that going on, you know. So early on, I mean, I can be attracted to films by like literally how they look. Yeah. You know? in yeah. the same way you might like a song over and over again it's it's a vibe it's a world it's a so yeah it's it's really it's very beautiful it's very beautiful yeah it's it's definitely you know sometimes a movie like Flashdance the the style gets you there much more than anything much more than the script also I think what's really interesting about that is if you look at other movies from 1983 and you see like you know I was thinking to myself you know in most other movies of this of this time you would have seen like characters dressed and things or it would have been very bright colors very mm-hmm. you know poofy hair here it looks very 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 upscale even though we're yeah. talking about downtown you know they're making De- pittsburgh look like you know <laughs> uh the left bank of france or something you know like, yeah. dressed in these in this like overalls and that big old floppy hat and yet I mean, she looks amazing, and every girl's gonna want to look like that. That's why those clothes took off. It is hard. You cannot under it. I cannot over. You can't overestimate how much influence this movie had at the time. And maybe one of the things that's different between now and then is that you have so so much more watered down because there's so many more places you can consume media and see films and blah 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 that you don't. You're not there isn't just like one or two drivers of things that are going to be popular. Right. You know, there's like a lot of places to see things. So at that time, I mean, I mean, it was just so huge. The leg warmers and that were already kind of there from fame, but this pushed it further. The off the shoulder shirt. Yeah. Which was, which was her idea. That was, that was a Beale's idea because the sweater didn't fit. But you know, it's also not, hot pink and it's not yeah. you know this big chunky jewelry like like okay i'm not saying that 16 candles is bad is i mean they're they're still high end for the high school movie it is but all the 16 candles types of knockoffs would have a lot you know more garish look to it if you put this story in a much more and you use that kind of garish 
colors and settings, it would be ridiculous because the story is ridiculous. But yeah. you're putting it in this very realistic, beautiful, that's very, and she even talks about French Vogue. It's a very French Vogue. <laughs> yeah, you're right. And, you know, I think it's 83, 82, 81 to 83, you're looking back, are kind of weird years because the 70s didn't end right away. Nope. You know, it kind of got chipped away and then MTV blew it away. And so when you watch a movie like Flashdance, you still see a little bit of like leftovers from the 70s mm-hmm. and you don't get the full on day glow nightmare of the 80s until like 85, I think. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't as cognizant of fashion because I was, you know, five. But it feels like when you watch stuff from the early 80s, like the style of 82 and the style of 86 are like night and day. Oh, of course. Because yeah. because now I wrote a paper on this for uh, History of Fashion and Film and I went to FIT. And you look at like the clothes, well, I wrote it specifically on like Eyes of Laura Mars versus well, she's the psychic, which have mm. similar high-end fashion stuff. And, you know, to read some books about that, but the, but the, the women's, what they were going to wear and it were moving away from outfits that were totally, uh, uh, you know, you were given the gloves that matched your shoes, that matched your bag. Mm. And then you had the accessorized <laughs> thing that you didn't really. The door stay look. Yeah. Thinking to it. But here you see street fashion really come alive. Like, Probably at the time of Laura Mars, that was a very new thing that women were throwing together clothes in their wardrobes and looking really, and it's not easy to do that. Let me just tell no. you right there. Cause we were trying to do it in high school around that time and it didn't always work. Like, <laughs> yeah, they were a lot of, ugh. anyway, we don't yeah. go over those pictures, but, but basically, you know, you, that's another, um, how would you call it like aspirational aspect of that movie is like how effortless that pulled together look looks because it's made out of stuff that isn't they're making like these everyday you know people that work in a welder look cool look like (laughs) like they walked out of vogue it's aspirational I, you know, yeah. And I knew welders. I didn't know welders. I knew steel workers and people who related to steel in Pittsburgh. None of them looked like that. Oh. Uh, but you were talking earlier about the influence and how you can't overstate it. Like, this movie was freaking huge yeah. when it came out. I was researching the box office. It came out in April of 1983. It's funny. It was number two the week it came out. It lost to Lone Wolf McQuaid. <laughs> with huh? Chuck Norris oh by about $100,000. So it was like neck and neck. But number one a week later, third week, it's number one. It beats Valley Girl, The Hunger. Then next week, it beats Still Smoking. You know, it mm-hmm. ended up being in the top 20 for most of the year. It grossed a little under $100 million in America. It was third in the box office, just behind Jedi, Return of the Jedi, and Tootsie. Wow. But it beat trading places and war games. So, like, yeah, huge, huge, (laughs) huge movie. And I can tell you, like, I know I was probably four or five years old when it happened, but on video, this movie was always at the video store. And, uh, uh, one of those, <clears throat> excuse me, one of those perennial renters that we always had to have copies of because people wanted to watch it. I bet, I would bet 
and this is sick considering all the stuff that's in this movie, but the, I would bet that it was a big one that girls got for sleepovers and shit. Oh, totally. Big, yeah. big, 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 big. We, we ordered one of our, we rented one of our first, like, and people don't know this either, maybe, that, that this is the dawn of video cassettes. And oh, yeah. At 1983, you were just getting them. In fact, the first one we got for a birthday party of mine was one of those, not laser discs, but they were those big cartridge things. CEDs. Whatever. You, <laughs> yeah. I'm, that's that's what, it's, it's, it's called a video disc. It's a, a, video, it's a disc. CED. Yeah. A video disc. And I don't know what the hell was in that thing, but... <laughs> But it was, but we played it, you know, we had like, we had the Duran Duran one and probably Flashdance and those didn't last very long, but, but this was really new to have a, a VCR in your home. Like it yeah. was just getting to be commonplace at the time this film came out. Yeah. Cause I think 83 was the year we opened the video store. So yeah, makes sense. That would make sense. Yeah. But I think, you know, we talk about how big the movie was. I would argue that the soundtrack was even bigger. That's you know, Georgia Moroder, um, who both don't know I, how how dare you, but he, you know, king of electronic disco. He produced "I Feel Love," which is one of the most like influential songs of all time. Mm-hmm. He would go on to do, you know, "Take My Breath Away." He produced God, the soundtrack to American Gigolo, Midnight Express, Scarface. Yep. Just one of the most. It's funny. It's 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 a Amazing that you had this, and uh, you have Moroder with Adrian Lynn and Joe Estherhouse mm-hmm. and Jerry Bruckheimer and Don Simpson all together. It's like all these people together just shaped '80s culture, like with, and they all kind of conglo- like meet in this one movie that just sets the tone for everything. And you know, Flashdance was a huge. Huge hit. It won an Oscar. The song did, not the movie. Well, I guess yeah. the movie did too, because the song won an Oscar. But, you know, and they had Flashdance, you had uh Maniac. Maniac was huge. Maniac's a great song. Um It's so it got you know, that said too though, as 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 in everything that gets super successful, like, yeah, a few years later it would be kind of like, oh, Maniac, that's kind of dorky or played out but it's still great music i mean it's still like it's still a classic i just i mean maybe it's also because of that freaking video where she's the ridiculousness of that and you know that they had to take that and i'm going to tell you this and you may or may not know this but the showtime videos <laughs> where they have the girls working out to ridiculous songs and then oh. clearly just to have guys stare at these girls and tight leggings and doing these ridiculous camera angles with you know what I'm oh, talking yeah, the about, I, right? Yeah, the, the I love rock and roll sequence with the, the workout yeah. sequence. That that's like one step removed from porn. It's it's very Yeah. Or not hardcore, but it's 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 almost Playboy. It's well, it's just the scene where it's that opening scene where they're they're talking in the dressing room and the poor black girl has a 
banana. Yeah. I mean, for I don't want to read too much into that because who knows? Yeah, I know. you know. But yeah. but I'm, and I don't want to say it's a racial thing either. Yeah. But but it, you can't deny that it might have been sexual though. Um, oh well, that no, I'm not going to deny that. No. no. <laughs> I mean, and it's else. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. And and John Peters, who can I do oh. briefly? So there's a great episode of this on um, podcast called You Must Remember This about um, John Peters um, and Barbara Streisand making A Star is Born. That was like the first movie that he produced and he went on to do all this other stuff. But, you know, he was very instrumental in in changing her Streisand's image as she was dating him at the time. Uh, from you know being a cabaret singer to being a rock pop star, and he came to her and said, "This is what you need to do, and you got to do your hair like this, and t- wear tight jeans. You got a great ass, blah blah blah." My, his words, not mine, <laughs> but you know, and and thought up this movie vehicle to all to change her image, which is not far from what. Flash dance does yeah. in general to pop culture in that moment. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. You know, I, it is kind of going back to the the box office part of it. You know, the movie was a huge hit, but like it was one of the most critically savaged films of the year. I I found some reviews, you know, Ebert. <laughs> I love Roger Ebert. <laughs> I'm surprised he hated this movie because, you know, one of Ebert's, I think, weak points was movies with girls where you could see their breasts. Uh, really? You know, because well, he hated horror films, every horror film. So it was like, why, why, that, why review this? You're gonna hate it. Well, I think you know, at, at the time, he reviewed everything. I would imagine, or close to everything. But like his 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 quote here, I found this. He says the movie is quote so loaded down with artificial screenplay contrivances and flashy production numbers that it's waterlogged. This is one of those movies that goes for a slice of life and ends up with three pies. <laughs> it does, but what's amazing about it is that it freaking succeeds in spite of that. In yeah. spite of how contrived it is and i'm aware of it i'm aware of how contrived yeah. it is but at the same time if you go to a film school or whatever and you learn how to write a movie they're probably going to give you you know th- and and it is probably you know like the the points are so obvious you know we need this person from this place and then they got to go through this major thing and come out a star and blah 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 and the old lady has to die yeah yeah and, but it still <laughs> got me and is that because I mean, I feel like the performances are way better than they probably. I know that people don't like Jennifer Beals, but you they know, don't. I mean, but but oh, come on, Michael Murray! If you're gonna put a forty-year-old in front of me, he's the. I'm one. sorry. If you're gonna put a forty-year-old in front of me, oh, Murray, oh that guy, forty-year-old for that. I mean, he's definitely very good looking, and maybe he didn't even maybe he didn't have a career because he's too much like he reminds me so much of Chris Sarandon, but. Um, yeah, he really does. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I bet he goes around going, Chris Sarandon. Yeah, <laughs> destroyed my career. The the lots of the all the little parts in this, like the the mm-hmm. lady, like I remember them so vividly, and maybe it's because I saw it fifty million billion times, as you mm-hmm. do when you only have twenty seven channels as opposed to five million places to see things. I'm going on a man. Turn it around, women have 
one of the common criticisms I found about it, there were two common criticisms. One was the the focus on the women's bodies. Uh, like, once one reviewer, Janet Maslin, she used to write for the New York, I think she still does New York Times. This is at New York Times. She said the movie was a combination of new wave sadomasochism and calisthenic pornography. That uh, accurate. What? That could be accurate. Yeah, uh, new wave sadomasochism. That's that's my new band name. And um, <laughs> Variety, and they don't have bylines on their old reviews. Um, they said it was watching. It's like watching MTV for ninety six minutes. Not wrong. And I thought one of the interesting one of the, one of the things they point out is probably my used to be my biggest complaint about the movie is that they say it's virtually plotless and. Uh, exceedingly thin on characterization, which I don't agree with, but the watching it for the second time, this time you watch the movie and there's the opening dance number. Mm-hmm. There's the romance with the, the rich dude, but it's almost, there's almost nothing of it. There's the small conflict because she gets mad that he's out with his ex-wife, mm. you know, and she overreacts to that and breaks his window. And like in real life, I'm like, dude, run away. Life, no 18 year old. Would be sorry. Also, real life. This is a toxic relationship. It's a power. It's a power imbalance. Oh yeah. She's she's obviously not emotionally there. If she's breaking windows because she sees him walking with another woman, and but I think the plot isn't great. I but one thing that really strikes me with the movie is it has kind of this theme of like following your dreams, mm-hmm. and it won't. But two out of three times it won't work. Because there's the her friend who's the figure skater, mm-hmm. and she fails, and that that scene is fantastic. Yeah. I, uh, the transformation of the dad from being the cynical bastard to yeah. being proud of his daughter and then wanting to console her is great. I think using her, watching this woman fail at her dream while Gloria by Laura Branigan plays yeah. is, I think, a brilliant juxtaposition because it's such an upbeat powerful song and sees this on the ice just emotionally dead yeah no it's a good juxtaposition and then you have the idiot uh wannabe stand-up comic okay yeah and like all his bad like Pollock jokes and he goes to la to follow his dream it doesn't work the figure skater goes to follow her dream it doesn't work it only works for the it only works for alex only works for the main character and like it's that's probably the most realistic part of the film is like most of the times when you follow your dreams, it's not going to work. But that's where it takes cues from fame because fame was unflinching. Oh yeah. yeah. Talking about that shit. They were like, you know, kids, a lot of times, like there was that kid that goes off to LA with all those offers and comes back. See what I mean? It's like, he's like, uh, he's like the comic boyfriend he, in, yeah. in, a, in a different, just, but it's similar. He goes out to LA. He goes back. He's he's wait. He's a waiter. Maureen TV asks him, "Oh, how was it out there?" And he's like, "Yeah, I'm waitering." You see, right? You know, yeah. and, and he figures out that you know not everything is that easy. And and there's a lot of, uh, you know, all the the oh, I mean the the scene where she's skating, and I also took skating too. So there you go. They got me for two for two there. Two for two almost. <laughs> But, um, but yeah, so I mean, the scene of her falling and what that's like emotionally and trying to recover your game when you make one mistake can just 
I mean, I had, I had problems with stage fright that affected me for 13 years. I mean, so it's, so it was very realistic in portraying how hard it is to, mm-hmm. you know, recover from, um, just within a performance, you know, she can't get back up on there. She keeps, you know, falling until, well, she, then she just didn't get, get up. The boyfriend says, well, see the better next time. And then she's like, there is no next time. Yeah. That's, That's it. He's it? done. Yeah. Yeah. Whew, it's rough. And that was the other reason why I thought that, but see, they're probably not smart enough to be like, yeah, that's why we made them 18 because it would really be ridiculous for her to be uh, trying to be a ballerina with very little dance experience at age mm-hmm. 20, 21, which yeah. is what I kind of see these characters as being. Mm-hmm. But I don't think yeah. the audience is going to sit in there and quibble and know that, you know, ballet is like the Olympics of dance. And that if you didn't start at 10 or three, you're not going anywhere yeah yeah but we talked about the realism and i don't know if you, you want to touch on this or not but you worked as a dancer i did yeah I worked, do you want to talk about that at all and, well, and how i mean i worked i worked at at the more i would call it the more uh it was more like what they talk about alex dancing which is like more like a burlesque thing than yeah you know and they try to make that that's really strange also that they try to make this differential between what she's doing and what the other girl's doing and i'm like yeah i mean there's some difference but in the end (laughs) i mean yeah i mean yeah there's a difference but um i would say that that the girls relationships at the club are really very realistic okay um i mean the girls definitely um interact in similar ways and um and it is true that some girls were performing in that way until you know while they're trying to get other things together in their life yeah um but, but yeah, I mean, so from that point of view, it's, it is, but, and then the other thing that we were, that I was thinking about this week was the fact that, you know, this was made by men and mm-hmm. did it cue into things that, you know, women wanted to express because they're, because later on you get all this Russia films, you know, later in the early nineties, you know, strip, strip tease and this one and that one and blah, 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 blah. And this becomes uh-huh. like the new hooker vehicle that had been in the past for women, all these young actresses coming up, wanted to play some form of that role. Um, And I wish some of those films had been made by women. Totally. Um, Because, and it doesn't really occur to you as a kid, but I mean, they are taking control of that narrative, knowing that there's a lot of girls that, it's, you know, feel that they would like to be sexy and be able to express that part of themselves that men are allowed to do all the time and women really can't, right? So that it, it taps into, obviously it did, because if it didn't, there wouldn't be, you know, the the clubs that existed in the 90s and you wouldn't have, you know, striptease as a part of that mm-hmm. and all that. But then you... But then, you know, there were women making films and like, 
you know, Martha Coolidge, you just said Valley Girl. And they were told that they had to put a certain amount, even though they were woman directors, you know, you have to put so much tits in this movie. Mm-hmm. She was told that. To make well, that's, yeah, that, that happens a lot. Like, Roger Coleman did that with that Humanoid, Humanoids of the Deep. Oh, yeah. Whole, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But, but, you know, then you hear this story this week about Joss Whedon, who's supposed to be, you know, this really big, and I'm not saying that anything happened with these other directors, but I'm just saying that the illusion, possibly the illusion, that you're really getting a a story that's, well, yeah, sympathetic, but is it totally true about women? You know, yeah. would have been better if, possibly, if we'd had a woman at the helm. Mm-hmm. You know, because these days, and you still really can't talk about doing any kind of work at all, whether it's burlesque or regular strip or whatever they're doing these pole classes whatever that's great that you know we can talk about and we should be able to talk about that people are oh we're transgender we're this we're that but you what you what if you ever mention that any of these other things it's like you know still not you're still something that we can exploit for money in a movie like striptease but would not be um how do we say socially acceptable <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and otherwise, so I, you know, it kind of struck me this week reading the stuff about Whedon and and that you know people had thought of him as this really super feminist guy and that maybe he isn't. Um, yeah. That it might have been nice if if some of those films about the about women that worked in these in these spaces would have been helmed by women. Yeah, it reminds me. Of uh, I have a friend who's like a super, super into feminist criticism and theory, and she always brings up a good point. You have a movie like Flashdance, which does have good, good representation of women and in the movie, and I think it does a lot of good in that area, but it's still heavily compromised because a bunch of horny men made it, oh. and. It's especially you know you see Joe Estehouse's name on it and it's like red flag red flag red flag, and it's one of those things with this with striptease. It's like yeah, you can make a movie about a strong, powerful, empowered woman as long as it fits men's preconceived notions about what sexy is. Oh, absolutely. You know when you have these burlesque things that some guys, most guys, vibe to the cheerleaders or teachers, whatever, you know, your burlesque thing is. And then you have mm-hmm. someone who dresses up as a stronger character, like a Catwoman, And they don't know what to make out of that. They're like, they run away mm-hmm. from the stage. Scared. <laughs> <laughs> and all their girls, the other girls are like, Oh my God, that's so amazing. And then that tells you that there's this disconnect between like <laughs> what girls think is sexy even in their representation of themselves and what guys are want to see, which is probably genuinely, generally someone weaker. It does. The, the couple of things that bothered me about Flashdance, of course, now looking at it is like, Oh my God, that opening scene where it's, that's the total male fantasy in a bar mm-hmm. like that, where the guy walks in and he sees this girl and she's so hot. And then the guy says, this rattles off the numbers and he goes, what's that? And he's like, that's his social security number. She works for you. Number 174, 
speed, I don't want her zip code. It's your social security number, asshole. She works for you. Like that's that's Esther House. That's the fantasy. That's that all want to believe that. That deep down inside, she's Jennifer Beals or whatever. You know, I mean, that, yeah. and, and and then that whole scene at the restaurant, which is sort of quasi, you know, ludicrous. She's eighteen, really. I mean, some. I'm not saying some girl. I don't want to say no girl would have done that. I'm just saying that it. That's definitely to me where I see male fantasy peeking in. I mean, you've never seductively eaten lobster before? No. <laughs> <laughs> On a list of sexy foods, it's not even in the top 20. It's really not. Yeah, I, yeah. And yeah, sometimes they're ridiculous things. Like, I don't know, because showgirls is totally absurd, right? I mean, nobody thinks that's real, do they? I feel oh, like... cute. There's a lot of men who think that's real. Showgirls is is more ridiculous, but because the whole thing is ridiculous from top to bottom, yeah. you can't just pick one ridiculous scene. The scene where they go out to eat and she's just wearing a, a tuxedo jacket and what do you call that thing that's covering her chest? I don't even know. Yeah, it's a front of it's the front of a tux, but I don't know what the piece is actually called. It's the front of a tux, but she's not wearing a shirt, so it's just barely covering her breasts right. and cufflinks, yeah. and that's it. And I don't that how so many questions about that. Like, and (laughs) she does it to, she takes off the jacket to reveal it when the guy's ex-wife is there. It's like, it's a power move to to fuck over this other woman, you know? Oh, I was under the impression you did. You look great, Nikki. I don't know why you didn't look this good when we were married. It's probably the company I was keeping. It was good. It was good. It's funny. Has he taken you to the steel mill yet? That's enough, Katie. He likes to go there on his first date. It was your first date, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. As a matter of fact, I fucked his brains out. <laughs> Obviously, you did. And it also sends a message that, and this is not beyond me. Yeah, but I was a pretty perceptive 14-year-old that that there's cattiness between women and also that the other woman is older. And mm-hmm. and that, you know, a young girl and men who make movies about this stuff, because I've known some that write, like, wrote for Playboy and whatnot, that they always try. That's their, like, nice way of putting you down. They're like, yeah, all your power's right now. And that's it. Yeah. You better hurry up. Because the rest of your life doesn't mean anything. Because the, yeah. because this is only you after you're older, and it maybe that comes from like you know all the girls. Are, I know it comes from all the girls who reject them, but then that's the <laughs> way to get back at women. It is you know they haven't even done yeah. anything yet. They're only eighteen, you know, and they're telling you this is the best. This is the apex, and everything else after this, you're going to be the wife that gets left for an eighteen year old. Yeah, and there's there's totally a non-sexist way to do that if you compare it to like high school football players or something like that. But these movies don't do that. No. They they only focus on the women. No, that is the that's a really weird, unrealistic scene, and it feels like it's yeah. dropped in there because I don't know, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. in the club. But let me also say this: dancing in the club as a burlesque dancer or any other kind of dancer, and this is where male fantasy does not want to believe this, does not 
make you that person. It doesn't mean mm-hmm. that you're because you came out in an outfit that looks like pinup that's S and M or something does not make you into that. It's a yeah. outfit. You're an actress. So yeah. it has no real bearing on who you are in real life, which they're sort of kind of kind of crossing those two lines there, right? Like like she yeah. dresses that way on stage and so therefore she will be that way in real life or the wife is uptight and she's not. Are are you are you telling me that just because someone might dress as vampirella doesn't mean they're vampirella? Yeah, I am. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also telling you that that Jade wasn't my real name. <laughs> and you weren't and you weren't from Hollywood. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, yeah. So it's like, is this real? Yeah, it's real. Just go with it. Yeah. You know, there are, there are no strippers named Ruth. Coming up on next, it's Mabel. It never happens. Yeah, no. Totally. Yeah. I mean, you know, and then even if you said, no, it's not, they would still go, but is it real? I just told you it wasn't. But is it real? So in other words, yeah. you're not giving me the answer I want to hear. And then when you tell me the answer I want to hear, then they go, is that just the answer I want to hear? No. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, Influence of this film, immediate influence is obvious, you know, the entirety of the 80s. But looking at, you know, throughout the 90s to now, you see dance movies. There's, like I said, there's Footloose. And then we had Bring It On is about cheerleaders. There's Bring It On. There's You Got Served. There's Step Up and all these dance movies. But in my opinion, I haven't seen a lot of those, but in my opinion, the dance genre for film was always for teenagers, but as the 90s and 2000s moved on, they made them much more family-friendly. Huh, that's an interesting observation. I mean, I probably wouldn't want to go to sleep bringing it on with my daughter because I'd be like, oh, really? I, but then again, I haven't seen Bring It On, so I shouldn't, you know, criticize something I haven't seen. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I suppose. I mean, they're bringing it into high school, which probably means is a cue to say it's safe for my 15 year old to go see this. I mean, definitely they're yeah. not putting it in a much more, it does seem dangerous place, doesn't it? That it's like, <laughs> oh, 15 year olds want to go see a movie about a girl who's 18 and doing XX, not XX, but doing, doing such and such for, to make a living. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that feels really far away from um, what kids would know anything about. And yeah. where that you're saying, yeah, they're putting it into the high school. Wasn't high school musical with those big things, right? Oh yeah. And Glee. And Glee. Yeah. So they took Fucking it way back Glee. to high school. They took it back to fame. The TV version of Fame. 
Yeah, and and they even watered it down further from the TV version of fame. You know, Glee covers some serious topics. I sh- shouldn't sell it short that much, mm-hmm. but you know, high school high school musicals, Disney as Disney can Disney. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 just it's a salting cracker compared to flash dances like, you know, spicy salsa. <laughs> right. I mean, it is it is kind of crazy to think that yeah it starts with flash dance and then i mean i think you can take flash dance and look and tone and all of that and follow it straight through into the 90s with not just the striptease movies but the rise of the erotic thriller oh well i mean you have to because the people who made those thrillers made this movie like you wouldn't have gotten like I don't see a lot of flash dance in you know Jagged Edge, but Joe Esterhaus made no, both those I movies. There's something about it. How would you? I mean, I know what you're talking about. Maybe it's the '80s aesthetic. I don't know, but there's something. It's true, right? I mean, I don't know. Those movies fit together for some reason for me. I mean, flash dance is not. It's not even brightly lit. Like it's it's. There's very few like what I would associate with, yeah, these high school movies that their quote, you know, target audience been into, but it does seem very adult. To, to give high school, those high school movies credit, they can be more brightly lit because the people who are singing and dancing are the actors. Yeah. In Flashdance, they had to light it the way they did to hide the fact that those are three different people and none of them are just, just uh, Beals. Ah, uh, well... Yeah, I mean, and when that came out, I, I must say, that did come out, and it's time, not long yeah. after the movie was out. I mean, that was a big, and maybe she made us think about that as well. She should have, because the video for Flashdance mm-hmm. showed many, many clips of that last audition scene, which is, uh, I don't that's so where good. the movie goes wrong a little bit. You think so? Yeah, I mean, it's cute. It, you know, well, it goes wrong in, in it, it does all the corny things well, mm-hmm. but it does feel a little, for me, it's like, it's verging. It's verging <laughs> on like getting too corny. Like with the guy who, 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 who like blows his nose and time with the music, <laughs> yeah. please. I like, I like the scene, you know, not only is the song great and the dancing is just incredible. Yeah. But it's almost that you've seen all those other people fail and, and you see like mm-hmm. her, her older friend at the club talking about her dresses that and, scene and it's stayed with me forever and yeah, ever and, and ever. You know, when I started out, I was 17. I used to work in these old movie theaters. Every cent I had, I spent on costumes. I had more fancy costumes and dresses than you do. Boy, when I went on that stage, I was looking so good. One day, I just stopped buying them. I don't even know what happened. thought about it a lot. I just can't seem to pin it down. The dresses got old and I just stopped wearing them. Hey, you know, I got some in a trunk I'll show you sometime. Okay. 
what the hell. It's showtime. And and this and the and the figure dancer failing and and the stand-up comedian failing and you finally get it it is almost like a fairy tale. It's not it's even more removed from reality, but somebody finally gets it and they finally get there. And it feels good for something to just go so perfectly right. It's it it's nice. It's fantasy fulfillment, but sometimes I want that. They give her a false start to try to make it more realistic. Remember? That? <laughs> yeah, yeah. She has that part where she screws up a little and she's like, mm-hmm. wait, 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 let me go back. <laughs> they let her go back because she's not Jennifer Beals. I, <laughs> I would imagine in, in real dance auditions, if you if you fail the first step, they might give you a redo. Oh, oh. Yes, I would say yeah. And it depends on how you approach that because it was in an audition once where I didn't know what the hell I was doing, but then I admitted it really funnily to the judges and I actually got called back. That's good. I got called back. I was like, well, <laughs> they see my audition. How do they call me back? But they, because they were looking for personality, but yeah, you don't always know what they're looking for. But yeah, it's, yeah, but that, but it did come out very soon after the film took way, 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 way off that that was not Jennifer Beals dancing. Yeah. And they talked about the one of the girls. So they're three. Well, one of them's a guy. Oh, the the breakdancing part at oh, the very yeah. end. That's a guy. And I watched the last time I watched this was on my I have a 4K copy, like a ultra high oh, definition. Wow. And if you freeze frame that breakdancing, <laughs> you can totally you're tell talking about a scene where sh- where there's a breakdance. You're talking about Manhunt? I'm talking no, I'm talking the last scene. After see, so there are three dancers in that yep. scene. There's the main one. I forgot her name. There's a gymnast. The gymnast does the, the huge jump, like there's a flying oh, leap yes, yes, into yes, a somersault. Yes, yes. And then at the very end, she does that spin. Oh, that breakdancing well, spin. Why. Okay, I forgot about that. I thought you were talking about. Um, I thought you were talking about some of the other dance scenes in the bar. No, no, no. Yeah. And that's a guy. Yeah. Okay. That's a guy named Crazy Legs who was a big break dancer and yeah. b-boy back in the 80s. Yeah. yeah. So when you watch it, if you if you watch this in 2021 on a 4K TV with a 4K transfer, you can see the stubble on his face. Yeah. It's hilarious. Oh, God, that's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> they had a word for this on another podcast, but I forget what it is. It's like, it's like these movies, they never knew. Just like, you know, in the 50s, they didn't know there was going to be, you know, reruns of things. They thought these movies would never be seen again. So, kids, yeah. this is why you don't film yourself doing stuff. But yep, yeah. <laughs> Because you never know anymore. But, but yeah, that that there are there are limitations in the original films that you would never see because it's film. And mm-hmm. no one thought it was going to be, like, micro- stretch to the 4k ultra 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 or they would have yeah. so it shows you know uh, it was they weren't planning on it but it worked for the film at the time but yeah. then they didn't know there was going to be this 4k and then you go oh my god yeah. well conversely sometimes it works the first number with the chair and the water you know uh in in high definition like a high dynamic range lighting that is an amazing sequence because the because the brights are super bright, the darks are super dark. It looks, it looks awesome. Yeah, I will tell you. Yeah. that is highly unrealistic to do in any part of the stage. <laughs> what? Will dumping water on your stage surrounded by neon lighting isn't safe? 
Yeah. No. Yeah. Somebody said something about the chain too. That there's yeah. Well, the chain appears out of nowhere. Oh, like oh, I didn't notice that. <laughs> yeah, the I want to be that girl on stage. Come on, I think it's awesome. Yeah, you know, if I was in the front row of that audience, I'd be like, "Look, I'm at a strip show. I'm not at a Gallagher concert. Don't get me wet." Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We and there was a place that tried that briefly, and it was like, "Okay, so what are you gonna do after you're all wet and stuff? You're gonna go downstairs and have to dry your hair and dry off this and that, and the stage is wet and the people are wet. This, this. There, there was an actual enclosed water area. You, you can do that a, for the last dance. Yeah, that's very true. At the end of the night, yeah, yeah, before you go home, because then you've already had shower. You just yeah. Oh, you're done. You, you bring soap on stage. You're halfway there. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think I think we should wrap it up yep. pretty quick. But really quick, do you think that a movie like Flashdance could ever be a major influence on culture ever again? Yeah, could I you? Do. I do. I do. I do. I I don't want to say, but that. But what I think is different about it because it is a very commercial film. What I mm-hmm. think is different about it now is again, I think it's because there's so many movies and TV shows and, you know, so they, they probably would not put a huge amount of money into a movie like this mm. in a regular theater. And, and, and there's so many places to see things yeah. that, that it's hard to say a movie would ever take off like this and be singularly huge because, yeah. because there's so many places that with, with, with which you can, see stuff and i think so i mean that's my take i i do think it's in the realm of things that we've talked about it's probably one of the uh, you know looking at the other films that you might talk about that a lot of those for different reasons are are things that would never be huge again yeah not so much this one i think i think it's may that it might not have this this singular impact because mm-hmm. of so many other movies and TV shows. You know, you go on Netflix, there's 500 billion yeah. things that just everything gets lost. Yeah, that is a good point. It is it is strange to me that, you know, Footloose got remade, Fame got remade, but Flashdance oh. didn't. <laughs> yeah, because that was in high school musical era though, right? Yeah, well, yeah, those, those remakes were, yeah. So I think that's, that might have been why. And Footloose is the most like innocent, chaste, rebellion movie ever made. It, well, you know, it, you know, there's already girls out there that are dancers, so it's just fire too. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, I think we should finish up. That was great. Um, yeah. Really quick, uh, Jennifer, can you tell people how to find you on the internet? Yeah. Um, if you want. Um, and you're on Twitter, right? And I'm also, yeah. And I'm, I believe I'm Jen Fewer on Twitter. Okay. And I'm um, Josie Peacat on Instagram. <laughs> All right. And uh, you can find me on uh, LostTurntable.com and my my Twitter, LostTurntable. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening to this uh, very first episode. Hopefully, I'll get some more out soon and talk about some other weird ass movies that you also watch alright thanks 